Hello and welcome back to the Teacher Takeaway podcast. I'm joined by my hosts, Aaron Johnson. Hi, everybody. Alice Vigors. Hi, everyone. And Beck West. Hi, everybody. For episode six, we are doing a special lockdown edition. And our inquiry question for this episode is, how do we as teachers effectively navigate lockdown? I'm just going to start with how are you all of you coping currently with our current lockdown in New South Wales and what are you doing to keep sane? Let's not ask Alice that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the rural and regional life is lovely. That's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> so what are you up to, Alice? What's rural and regional life like at the moment? Oh, well, for us, it's just we must wear masks when we go indoors and that's about the only restriction we really have placed upon us and not obviously not to visit the uh, greater Sydney area. Sorry, guys. Can't come in. The containment you. zone. <laughs> Don't come in. So what? Uh, You're yeah. all infectious. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, pre- it's virtually life as, as normal for, for us, apart from the, the mask wearing. We're able to travel out and about to other kind of regional towns and get Is out and do the things that we normally like to do. Is there anything exciting you've done thus far in the holidays? Um, I've done a little bit of programming, hanging out, doing some um, mother-son kind of time while my daughter's been at preschool. So hanging out with him and doing some stuff with him. And then later in the week, he's off to a, a day camp for basketball and then it'll be some mother-daughter time, which will be nice. Oh. Um, yeah, just Sounds very nice and relaxing. No, that that's nice. And I'm sure when we speak to Aaron and Beck in a moment, it's going to be very, very different. So, Aaron, how's your lockdown been so far? It's day three and everybody is still alive. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's, a good that's positive. Uh, yeah, there's still a few days to go. Um, no, it's going well. We did do a, on Saturday when they announced the lockdown, was that Saturday? Yeah. We did a, an emergency dash to Kmart and we stocked up on all things craft because our two little girls love I thought he was good... going to say toilet paper. No, <laughs> no. One of those. Um, they, do, they do love a good craft at noon. So we've been, uh, you know, just like um, rationing the craft activities and also trying to get out each day. I mean, the rain this week hasn't really helped. Um, but we did manage to get out today and we got out on Monday and just went for a walk and just got some fresh air. So just trying to, to do those things, you know, keep the kids occupied. That's, that's a hard thing, um, to do and the wet weather doesn't help, but yeah, just trying to keep them uh, focused. Lots of Lego, by the way, which, um, as a dad, is like my favorite thing because really i mean i'm doing it for the kids i'm not buying lego <laughs> sets for any other reason in inverted commas that's right <laughs> but it is good too when your mother-in-law buys them lego uh online and gets it sent to your house and you did know it was coming and it's like woo hours of Bonus. entertainment so yes yeah, so that's how that's how life so far on day three oh, sounds like you're surviving very well at, at the moment aaron Early, early days. Thanks to the mother-in-law <laughs> with the Lego. That's yeah. right. Well, we we have a, a huge stash of Lego here. Um, we're a big Lego family as well. And my husband actually um, buys and sells in different Lego sets, like some of the ones that are rare or difficult to collect. So, Sounds like um, a smuggler, like a Lego, <laughs> Lego smuggler. 
it's quite a big industry. It's really cool, uh, some of the rare things that you find out there. So we have lots of Lego that's out and we're sorting and we had tons of stuff cancelled. So we had all the, the dentist appointments and we had group therapy appointments for speech and OT and all of that has been cancelled. So uh, in our previous episode, when we talked about how we generate our big visual calendar and all the things <laughs> we're doing, oh. that came off the wall and we've had to rewrite a lot of it because um, the, the dentist can't even do a cleaning for the kids. Like they had wow. their six-month checkup done and they said they can't even do that during mm. lockdown. So all of those things that would have been kind of a reason to get out of the house and out and about even those things are gone so yeah we've been outside playing we've been playing lego we've been forest bathing i went forest bathing today i went for a hike today that was my exercise the we're allowed to do that within restrictions to go for an exercise within my um local area which was lovely to be able to get out and and be with nature and luckily it didn't start raining until after we got in the car and we were done for the day so that was great lucky that's a win my thighs won't thank me tomorrow Um, (laughs) (laughs) but no pain no gain that's it I think the the difference is is uh, the mindset we've gone into it with at this time you know last time when the kids were in lockdown during the school holidays absolutely everything was closed we had no idea what we could do we didn't know what we were allowed to do and it was quite scary this time it's just like okay we're in lockdown we'll find other ways to get through it like we can go and get craft if we need to like Aaron said so I didn't even think of going out and getting stuff like that we've been going straight to Lego and Marvel movies so I think um, I might go to the shops and grab some crafty things as well to to keep them busy because yeah if it keeps raining that's going to really limit our options no, that's that's good. It sounds like we've all been up to some, you know, making the most of what we've been given, I guess, mm-hmm. at the moment. I've, I've just been trying to do some house renovation jobs. So Bunnings uh, have been my best friends over the past two days, just redoing <laughs> the front garden in between the rain, ripping out everything and putting a garden bed in. So a little bit of fulfilment there. The visual calendar, like you said, Beck, had to get modified, but still trying to get little wins throughout and, and getting a little bit of productivity. But I find that it's nice, especially um, for, for us teachers, that it's kind of making us rest, you know, to yeah. an extent, which I think yeah. if you can find any silver lining to it, at least we can switch off and, you know, binge, like we were saying in the previous mm. episode, to look after ourselves. And finally mm. put away that basket of washing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, have you been to my house? <laughs> Wait, we're not supposed to just move it from one spot to another? We're meant to put that away? Yeah, Man. apparently. <laughs> Perfect. And now to talking about how we how we navigate this lockdown is in New South Wales, we still don't know what term three is going to look like for us all. And we're not here to hypothesise in this episode. But I just want to throw over to Beck now, who's just got some nice resources to share briefly with us. Yeah, so just a reminder for those who haven't followed me, um, I've got a YouTube channel. It's called Talk and Chalk um, and various social media where you can access that as well. And it's all free. And when we hit remote learning last time, I just delved in and made a bunch of videos to support teachers. So there was things on there about how to make your own um, instructional videos, resources that you could pick up and use. Um, So if we've got any maybe new grads uh, this year who weren't around during uh, lockdown, if we do suddenly hear the words remote learning, there's a plethora of stuff on there. There's a whole playlist for it. And also uh, the New South Wales Department of Education website has all of the remote learning resources still there from before. So if you're not someone who had to navigate it last time, 
those things are there. If you're suddenly thinking, oh my gosh, I need to suddenly prepare things and pull things together. Remember, there are a ton of resources already there. So I wouldn't go recommending that you spend your entire holidays preparing, you know, for that kind of um, preparation, because chances are there's things there ready to go that you can pick up and use. Ah, perfect. Thanks, Beck. And I think it's really beneficial. I remember last time this, you know, similar time last year that I was using some of your tips and tricks with from your videos in, in supporting making, um, implementing some strategies. So very much, def, you know, we don't need to go recreate the wheel. Let, let's, let's work smarter, not harder and use the resources that we have available to us. And moving on to now, and again, as we're listening, um, our listeners, this is coming out on a Monday. Um, I know in a lot of our minds, we're going to be thinking about how do we maintain the continuity of learning when snap short-term lockdowns are, are something that are, are implemented. So as you, Aaron, Alice and Becca, thinking about this, and if we did go into remote learning, but regardless um of remote learning but how do you maintain the continuity of learning when I guess there's there's any changes that are implemented I think that when we talk about continuity of learning we need to remember that like that's a lengthy thing as well like okay if we go into remote learning for like two weeks you know we're talking talking continuity we've got kids that'll go on family holidays for two weeks or that'll get the flu for a week and a bit and miss that much schooling. And we don't have that same snapshot reaction to, oh my God, I've got to catch them up. Um, so I think we need to think in along those kinds of lines when we talk continuity of learning is out getting our mindset around what does that actually mean um, when we're talking about the prospect of catching kids up or what they miss when they're not actually physically there at school. And it's a, it will be an interesting conversation to take into the future beyond this um, when we look at how kids do fall behind in school and and that continuity of learning so yeah for example if if kids are sick if they've suddenly got uh, broken their leg or something and they they can't come into school for sort of four weeks what is that stuff that we provide them if we send work home how do we have those conversations and ultimately i think the key is communication how do we communicate with our families and our parents in terms of providing that continuity of learning because that is really our great chance to extend learning into the home and how does that look in your particular school context yeah good good point Beck. is there any strategies of what you've found to be successful um a bit about going a, about the right way in doing so i can speak from experience in terms of when we went back on site last year we still had um uh, an instance of a student who was high risk and couldn't return on site, extremely high risk and couldn't return on site. So still capable of working from home. But then we had a teacher and a class back to, well, normal, I say using my finger brackets there <laughs> <laughs> um, in the classroom and this child still needing to learn from home. So the online platform, Google Classroom was obviously still the best method to be able to do that. But that meant a higher sort of workload for that teacher to figure out what goes online. How do I check in with this student? What do we do? So we obviously tried to provide the support for that teacher in terms of um, additional release time to be able to check in and support those kids needs. Um, I kind of look at those online platforms as a really great tool because imagine if like, I'm not at that point, but I'm sure there are schools that are at the point where homework is just online. Like the home readers are online, the homework's online, everything's online. And I know there are not communities that definitely my community is not a community that can say, yeah, let's just chuck everything online and they'll never <laughs> miss learning ever. 
But that's a great thing I think we can work maybe towards in the future. Technology is more and more and more accessible now. Um, wouldn't it be great to have those things just readily available so that, yeah, uh, you know, the car broke down and the kids miss school. There's something there that they can go on with. Like, and I know that's me saying, yeah, that's a really simple solution. I know it can't be that simple. I just like the idea that it could be that simple that our kids mm. could maybe not miss out on a whole day's worth of learning because life happens and days get interrupted. Oh, I think they're great, great points back. And I like the idea of, you know, everything being in the one space, you know, and I, I think it was something in one of our earlier episodes, and I know it's slightly different, but Aaron was talking about a platform that his school was looking into for kind of a stu- student portfolio. And mm. I guess creating and having everything in that one space to, to do with that student. I think that's a really interesting thought. Uh, what do you think, Aaron? How, how do you, you or how do you think we maintain the continuity of learning when we're faced with difficulties or different changes? Um, I, I was going to say exactly what Beck said. I think the most important thing comes down to is um, communication and having those, like, I guess, clear, simple processes that are going to make it easy um, for families and students to access it because if we make it too difficult um, it's just it's not going to happen so you know I know our um, context you know we, we did uh, use Google Classroom for most of our students last year um, and that was I guess it just made it easy for us to number one communicate um, and make sure that everything that was going out was consistent and I think that's the other thing too is making sure um, lesson that we learned was about consistency and not having differences between because we have to understand that there's families with kids at different ages and stages and you don't want to have this huge workload um, for one child and then not for the other and you get those comparisons but you also have to realize you know there was there was a family of four with one device and so it's it's trying to navigate these things and problem solve and make it simple um you know, for students to be able to do it. So, you know, being able to have every kid online, you know, that's a dream, the ultimate dream come true, but that's not necessarily the reality. And so we have to look at what are other ways that we can, I guess, just make it easy. Where if, you know, they've got a blank book at home, there's stuff they can go to and, and do like Beck was saying, you know, whether it's just, we just put something out like a grid and this is, these are the things that you want to, we want you to do and you can choose them at your own pace or there's a point scale or something. Um, because, you know, we do have families that don't have access other than say mum or dad's mobile phone. Um, and we can say, put something up on our, you know, our school Facebook page or something where they can access it. And then from there, they've got everything that they need and it's just simple. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And the, talking about the connection that you have with your, your parents and carers about what's going on, but then also the consistency within your delivery, but also talking about understanding the community that you're working in, that there's there's no one right thing because it all depends upon the context of your school and what what's the needs of the, the families that you're working with. What are your Alice, thoughts, Alice? Sorry, Alice, when, when you were in lockdown, were you still in your previous school? You're in a different system? I started lockdown in my previous school and I moved mid or the big kind of a few months into lockdown to the new school. So I started at my new school smack bang in the middle of lockdown. That's right. I remember that you were saying you were starting a new job, but you didn't actually get to meet your class face to face. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Talk to us about that, Alice. That's... (laughs) It was um, an interesting transition to a new school. 
Um, so coming from the previous setting, we had probably, you know, the same as most schools, there were some still on site and most online at home. One of the things that we found was really important was providing that equity of access to those who didn't have devices, providing them with the resources that they needed to be able to access learning in a non-digital space. Um, and the, the system that I was in um, actually, and I, I think you were similar, Beck had kind of a loaning of technology out to families to mm. allow them to access um, and, and work digitally. Uh, moving to the new school, mid, mid kind of lockdown was kind of interesting. Um, I moved to, to a stage and I was kind of fortunate enough not to have to step in and onto a class and have to develop relationships with a whole bunch of students I had never met face-to-face before, um, but it was around, for me, supporting this, the stage that I was leading and helping them to develop those strong lines of communication with their class and, and navigate that, you know, managing those that were online as well as those that were in the classroom and those that couldn't access things online and, and, and navigating that space, which was quite interesting. Did, did that assist you, obviously, starting in a new school, assist you with forming relationships with some of your teachers and students in a different way that you, you hadn't done before? Yeah, it was kind of like a, it felt almost like an easing into the school environment. It wasn't just, bam, you know, you're on, you know, you've got to hit the ground running. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, there was a small number of kids and I got to know them really well and got to know the staff and the way that they worked and and supported them through um, using digital platforms, many of them hadn't kind of broached that space very much. Yep. So supporting them through that, which was quite nice. And then, you know, as the year went on, I I was in um, an RFF and support role last year, the first year that yep. I was at the school. And so I got to meet pretty much the entire school doing that, which was kind of a nice, easy way to, to get to know 340-something children. <laughs> And then, but the downside, I guess, to that was that I had no connection to the parent community, yep. apart from the ones that I, you know, if I had to make a phone call or or whatever, but, you know, missing that, being able to see them on site or meet them at the gate or yep. any of that normal school life that most of us are used to coming into a new school mid-lockdown, I just didn't have that. So that there was yeah. a very big disconnection between myself and the parent community because because of the way lockdown was yeah I think we've noticed a huge shift with um kindergarten parents like that like most years you find that the kindy parents are always the parents that are there in the afternoon checking on the kids they're there in the morning that constant communication but with COVID they they didn't have that and even kind of now still yeah. don't have that because of the restrictions we've got with um how many you can have on on school grounds and it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term impact of that is does that suddenly mean that those parents don't feel the need to be as involved in the school life Mm. because they've trusted the kids off to us at such a young age they had to because they couldn't be there Um, I hope it doesn't mean a loss potential (laughs) loss of like connection yeah to the school because you just don't have that interaction do do you think 
Beck, with your experience, that there will be any implications from that or well I'm gonna sound really bad at this point but like kindy parents are the parents to nab (laughs) when you want when you want people so you think positive implications well no I think my concern is that like yeah I won't have those parents to nab now they're not there they're not as Mm. um as heavily invested as what you feel in your first year of your Mm. your child's formal education. Um, And and if they're trusting us so much, oh, well, you know what? They did so well independently because I had to drop them at the gate and they have Mm. to get themselves to the gate. Oh, well, maybe I can go back to work early or maybe they don't Mm. need me there or maybe they can go home with a friend instead of with me and then there's less of that interaction on site. Yeah, Yeah, I'm worried I'm going to lose my parent volunteers. That's right. (laughs) Like you said, Beck. Kindy parents are always the ones like, yep, I'll volunteer for that. Yep, I'll do that thing. Yep, I'll sign up for that because they don't know what they're in for. (laughs) (laughs) Depending what number child they have at the school. Yeah, true. (laughs) But, yeah, like you said, it it does make a big difference in that sense. And and I I guess talk, you know, finishing up with talking about um, how, how we maintain the continuity of learning, I think, there were so many exciting case studies that came out of last year. Was there any wins that you guys wanted to share that the systems you put um, in place within your school that might not have been you or might have been your team or, or staff members that you had a bit of success with the, the things you put in place around the continuity of learning? I like the fact that a lot of teachers that found technology to be out of their comfort zone were kind of forced out of their comfort zone. I don't like forcing people that way, but it was a great way for some teachers. And I can think of one brilliant teacher at my school who always thought technology was, you know, the hardest thing in the world. And like she shone with her Google Classroom. She was amazing. I think I've mentioned her before. But um, once we kind of get back to the same old, same old, I think a lot of teachers that did do really well using those online platforms or you're just using technology in general, they're falling mm. away yeah. again. Mm. And that was my, that was the one thing I would hope would not happen. I, I was kind of hoping that that's a new skill now. I'm going to take it, run <laughs> with it and really go. But, you know, I'll yeah. have it stay hard, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. I found lots of our teachers kept running with it and kept. Oh, that's good. Kept yeah. that momentum the because they, they found the benefits of using those platforms and, and seeing the kids' skills evolve as they were using them as well to like, oh, well, I could use this, you know, when we come back normally in this setting and, and to do this and to do that. And it's mm. really exciting when you kind of see those moments. Do you yeah. think that was really self-motivated? Was that sort of um, encouraged by like leadership or that was really on, on those teachers? I think it was more on the teachers. It wasn't something that we said, you That's know, great. you kind of have to, have to do this now. Mm. It was just, oh, you know, I'm seeing the benefits and... That's great. Going to continue with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think similar to what you were saying, Alice, it's it's been good to see teachers continue with some of those skills that they learned. But I think it's been good to see teachers, like you were saying, Beck, they had no other choice. They had to take risks that they probably wouldn't take Mm. previously. So we've sort of transitioned and brought in some new things this year, which I think um, teachers have have taken them up more readily because it was like, oh, well, I did that other thing before and that was fine. So they're mm. less, I guess, hesitant with trying something new or taking something new because, you know, they're thrown in the deep end before and they managed okay. Mm. Um, and that's even a kind of a reference point, you know, like remember when we did that and we didn't think we could do it, like, you know, let's give this a go and let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. There's sort of a bit more of an attitude of, of I guess, risk-taking 
um, or trying new things that we wouldn't try before. But one of the things I was super proud of was just the way it really brought, I, I don't know, just speaking from my experience, the team that I worked with last year, it really brought our team together um, in a way that, you know, seeing them support one another, that probably wouldn't have happened without remote learning and lockdown and really leaning on one another and sharing yeah. sharing the load. Um, it really did a lot for that team dynamic of the support and being, you know, um, you know, alongside each other, like really made a huge difference. Um, and even though it was a horrible experience in some ways, I'm thankful that it did happen because what it did for that team of people that I worked with was, you know, was great. Yeah, it, it really shows and reiterates, I guess, the, the most um, important learning comes when we make ourselves vulnerable and we're out of our comfort zones and also reiterates the power of collaboration and working together as a team, which I think are, you know, two positive things that, that came out of it, definitely. Mm. Now over to some listener questions. So our first listener question is, should school hours be extended and teachers put on shift rosters. So I think the, this person's preempting if we were to, to go into remote learning again, should school hours be extended and should teachers be put on rosters? Teachers because- are not babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm the older one in the group here. Yeah. I'm just going to go blunt with it. We are it's not an interesting, <laughs> it's, you know, a really interesting question. And I think it, it really depends on what's the purpose behind it. Um, I know I referred to before, you know, we had a family that was a group of siblings, but only access to, to one device. So I know with that family, they sort of had a timetable in their, I guess, household of who would use the device at different times. And, you know, um, I would get messages like, oh, Mr. Johnston, you know, my work's not going to be submitted until blah, blah, because I've only got access to, you know, the device from this time to this time. So I don't know if, um, putting teachers on, you know, flexible hours is necessarily the answer, but being willing to willing to recognise that perhaps remote learning can't and shouldn't just happen between nine and three, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that flexibility around it. You know, we we started by saying, you know, your work had to be submitted at three pm, and then it, you know, we realised that wasn't, I guess, manageable or effective for for families, and we sort of, you know, had rosters with with different things, so we didn't have that overlap, and it gave, um, you know, families time. And I think it was good having directions that eventually came out from the department about how much work we should be setting each day, and realizing saying to to parents, we're not expecting them to work from nine till three. If you want to make the call and start at seven and and finish it, you know. Um, you know, 11 or whatever, that's your thing. It's, it's flexible. So yeah. I think having that flexibility is important. Yeah, and I and think, I, sorry, back to you, go. Oh, I just, we really need to recognise that that has come not from a thing of, hey, it's too stressful. That's come from evidence-based teaching that is distance education. Mm, so the yeah. distance education teachers that have been doing this for a very long time, school of the year, all of them, they do not work in six hour blocks like that. You recognize the time that you take away for 
um, you know, the, the packing up of the day and getting ready for lunch and, and your lunch breaks and all those sorts of things. It's like, even though our allocation is what, four hours, 45 minutes of teaching, kids don't do four hours, 45 That's minutes rad. straight of work nonstop. That is not yeah. how those things work. Sure. And you break it down to that individual time. I think they said it was, they gave different age brackets, but it was around like the two and a half hour mark. I think it was of sit down, do work. Mm. That comes that comes from a strategic place with other educators with lots and lots of experience. So don't, don't take that lightly. That's come from a really high quality, you know, experienced group of people. (laughs) That's right. And and it comes back to that communication, doesn't it? Like when, when we're talking about the hours of work and I know a lot of um, our parents and carers within our communities, they were struggling with the amount of work, you know, I can talk within my setting, but just a clear communication about what is expected, I think it, it comes back to as well. What's your thoughts, Alice? I was just thinking, you know, everybody's kind of different and kids are the same in terms of when they feel at their most optimum or, you know, want to get things done. You know, I had a had a kid who was a very early riser and would get up, you know, at 6.30 and jump on and smash out his learning before breakfast and he was that was him done for the day and his other you know, a couple of siblings could then could then do their thing. And, you know, I had other kids who would leave their learning right to the very end of the day, just whatever was manageable for them and their families. But also having, you know, being in lockdown in, and in the beginning we were kind of on rotating shifts of, you know, you're in these days. And the days that I wasn't in, my son was at home remote learning while I was remote teaching. And so finding for me that balance was, you know, being able to manage my class as well as manage his learning. So it ended up kind of being like a bit of a, a shift roster, I guess, of, you know, this, this between this hour and this hour, it's I'm focused on you and your learning and then I'm on my class mm. for an hour or, you know, doing it that way. And I just had to be open and honest in my communication with my families to say, look, I'm at home remote teaching here's how I am approaching you know the learning and the way that I will communicate and I'll be on at these times Mm. to communicate and and talk to you about your learning should you need that support um, which they were very appreciative of. Wasn't it so interesting too to see how our kids um, independently managed their work. So like sure. the, the kids that I was working with, um, because when we first started, I did test classes. So we did um, paper packages for two weeks. So that was the two weeks prior to the school holidays. We didn't go online learning till the next term when we felt teachers were prepared and had the PL and everything. So we took our time to get our teachers ready and we just did paper packs. So the the test group of kids that I had while I was figuring it all out to showcase it to our teachers Um, it was so interesting to see which tasks they picked first that they wanted to do because I had all the day's work up there ready to go and you would see them go, right, this one kid always wanted to do maths first. I keen on it, wanted to do maths first. Like we don't often do maths first though in the classroom, you know, a lot of places do the literacy block first. Like can you imagine how much more eager this kid would be to go to school knowing that maths was the first thing of the day? It was so intriguing to see how kids Mm. would tackle those things and how that that independent choice gave them maybe more engagement in their learning as well. Like I know we can't do that with every kid. I know that's not manageable, but it just really makes you think about how kids approach their learning. 
I know yeah. one of the like you know we struggle to find um, casuals when we when we have staff away, and being on stage three when when I'm have to be off and there are no casuals to cover the class, so the class is split across the school. They're given a a device, and I just put all of their learning for the day on Google Classroom, and it's interesting as you said, Beck, to see in which order they they choose to do their learning and how they then share that and communicate that with mm. the rest of the group. It's very intriguing. Yeah. Now it's perfect. And it reminds us about, you know, the autonomy of our, our children and, you know, giving them the opportunity and their voice over their learning and their, the ultimate engagement that will come from it. So on to our second listener question, how do teachers approach the potential of online learning whilst managing the want to attend to each individual student? What's our thoughts on this one, team? So we had, I don't know if you did this, Alice, with the, the online learning, but um, we gave our LST teachers access to those classes where they supported students. And then what they would do is they would allocate work to those, those students. So you know how in Google Classroom you can allocate which kids get which work? Yep. So the class teacher and the LST teacher could like create those documents together and differentiate. And then the class teacher would tick name, 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 name. This work gets pushed out to those kids. And then the LST mm. teacher would have the differentiated work, name, 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 punched out to those few kids. So, I, you know, it doesn't have the support of the, the teacher one-on-one or the, the group contact that you might have if that teacher were in the class with those kids. But at least there was still that that process of differentiating what was going out to the kids. They still weren't all receiving the same thing and then feeling like, oh, my God, I can't do that. They still had that differentiation. Um, Were you able to do that sort of sense of what you were doing? I know hard for you, Alice, going in part way. Um, The school that I started lockdown at, we were doing that. We were setting out um, differentiated work for different groups, like you would, I guess, for like a literacy group or a maths Mm. group, kind of pushing those out through Google Classroom to say, right, here's your tasks. And unbeknownst to them, they didn't know that, I don't think that they knew, but (laughs) that, you know, the other kids were getting kind of something a little bit different. Um, So it kind of allowed that targeted point of need without you know the child feeling like this is totally out of my Mm. my depth and my realm and I'm struggling and the parents are going oh my god my kid's stressed Mm. they can't do this work it's too hard and one of the things that we we did in that setting was to kind of allow parents to or the student to schedule time where they could have that quick one-on-one check-in with the teacher to say oh look I just want to talk about this can I check in with you at this time I'm going to book in at this time um, just to have a chat about you know the maths task or I'm struggling with you know this this English that you've you've set for me can we have a chat about it so that you could touch base and hit those those needs when when they arose yeah those chats are the best like even just Mm. calling and touching base because that's where it all comes out yeah, yeah I was, absolutely. I was going to say exactly what you were saying, Alice and Beck is just, again, having like those processes and things in place where there's those options for, for um, kids and parents to check in with teachers. We did um, for remote learning last year, we did like a daily Zoom, daily Zoom call. So with each class at a certain time. Um, and so that was a good thing for me because if I say a certain student wasn't coming to them, um, it was a good point of oh, noticing that person wasn't there today, I'm going to give them a call. So that was the other thing we did was phone calls to families. Um, the expectation was that every family would get a call once a week. 
um, to just check in and see how they're doing, have those, you know, follow-up conversations um, and those opportunities. And when we went to, um, you know, kids back on site and, and back at, um, we had some kids um, similar to what you were saying, Beck, that were at home. So we, we even, I know in my classroom, because I had a student who wasn't coming back, um, I was, had scheduled, you know, like small groups, like our literacy group where, you know, on Zoom, she would join us in the group on Zoom um, at, say, 10.30 every day. That's when her literacy group would be. So she was still getting that, I guess, small group support as well as exactly what you guys were saying about differentiated work and just sending different things to different kids to make sure that they were getting um, what they needed. So I think it all comes down to just having those processes in place and having it clearly communicated so parents know what to expect um, and also, I guess, what's available and what they can do if they feel like their kid's struggling because there would be some parents that would go, you know, they're really not coping. On Zoom, they would seem fine. They were doing the work and it's important to have those conversations because what you see on the screen isn't necessarily, I guess, what's really going on. And I think it's important too that if, especially if you're new to this process or you know what, even if you want to revamp the process, if we go into remote learning is utilize your team. So what we did was our, our whole teams, like stage team or grade team, whatever you're on, they all had access to each other's classes. Mm. So for stage three, for example, we had three classes, whatever work was set for like five, six, a was the same work that went to five, six B and five, six C and so like one teacher might do, you know, the spelling for one week, one teacher might do the writing task, one teacher might do the mathematics or something. And then you'd have the LST teacher coming in and doing the, the differentiation that minimized the workload. And it meant that mm. all the communication that went out to that stage was exactly the same. We had yeah. a file where literally the instructions for each activity was there. So whatever instructions went home to 56A, the same instructions went to 56B and 56C. So if parents are on the phone going, I don't know what this means, the teacher, the parent of a kid in another class that they're friends with or whether it's like, I don't know, mine says something different. I don't know what this is. You know, yeah. it was exactly the same, which also meant that if a parent called the school um, to inquire about something, didn't matter which teacher you got or supervisor you got, we all had the same message. Um, that come, comes down again to that communication and to manage it for families. Like you said, Aaron, if they're all using Google Classroom and they're all getting the same instructions and the same structure and, and of what's going out there, so much easier to manage. Yeah. We, we did a similar thing like that to Beckham. We, I guess, coming back to that question about rostering, we kind of had people on different jobs. So there would be, you know, um, someone that was in the classroom with the kids at school, another person that was monitoring the classes for a certain block, another person that was off writing the instructions for the next day's activity. Mm. Or um, we did exactly what you were saying, Beck. We all sourced different parts. And then we had one person that just wrote the instructions for everything for the whole week send it on every class that so was consistent. And we sort of, I guess, had those rostered roles where um, throughout the day we were all doing something that the kids knew um, who would be answering their questions. Mm -hmm. It might not be their class teacher, but those that teacher or those two teachers were assigned to, you know, being online available for questions between different hours and things like that. Yeah, it was good as well having at least in our roster for being on site for those essential service children that had to be there. Um, we made sure that there was, each day there would always be one person from each stage. So regardless mm. of which kids were on yeah. site, they had a familiar face for their stage each yeah. day. Yeah. 
Perfect. Now, some great, interesting ideas. And what I guess my, my takeaways from your answers for that question is, again, the importance of the systems that you have set up, that they're consistent across the stage. And that then a follow on from that, the communication that you're providing um, to your teachers and also to your parents in communication. And then also understanding based upon um, your school context, the different processes that you need to implement and, and the deep thought behind it. Beck, Alice and Aaron, what's been your takeaways from this episode? I think I like to take away um, the notion of just see the opportunity. If we can keep that perspective, we're teachers, we can do it. We're positive people. I know mm. there's anytime something like this comes up, we think, yeah, the kids will be behind. But I mean, if Alice can change schools midway and <laughs> slot herself into a completely different role uh, in, in the middle of a pandemic, then we can, we can all. You got this guys. It. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was going to say a key takeaway, I guess, exactly what you said, Beck, is just having that positive mindset. You know, we've done this before. We can do it again. You know what? We don't have to do it the way we did it last time. Let's learn from last time and let's go forward and, and make it better, make it more manageable. At least we're not flying blind this time around. Like mm. Beck said, we've done it before. We'll do it. We'll do it again if we need to and we'll make it work. No, perfect. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron, Alice, and Beck. And something, you know, my kind of key takeaway for our New South Wales listeners as you're entering the second week of school holidays, I challenge you to put yourself out of your comfort zone this week because something that we've all been talking about tonight is, is something that when we were faced in 2020 wasn't comfortable for, for any of us. But you look at look at all the great learning that came from it and that was from learning um, from others and, and making ourselves vulnerable from that. So thank you for joining us for episode six of our special lockdown edition. We look forward to having you again join us for episode seven. We wish you all the best for your time in lockdown for our New South Wales listeners. But for, for everyone else, thank you and see you next episode.